Let's take the Word of God at this time and turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to the book of Acts and chapter 14. Acts uh, chapter 14. As you are turning there, we enter once again into the narrative of the first century churches, and it would do us well to read this account not as some story that cannot be related to. Rather, we should read this account asking ourselves this question, what has happened to churches? When you read through the book of Acts and you look around you, what has happened to churches? Evidently, as we've been reading in the book of Acts, the gospel was moving forward. We read from the very first chapter, or I guess you could say the second chapter. It began to be preached in Jerusalem, and then it went and spread throughout Judea. By Acts chapter 8, it went up to Samaria, and then you see it go to Galilee. And, and finally, in chapter 9 and 10, in, in Syria, particularly the city of Antioch in Syria, and we know that Paul and Barnabas would uh, go from as we've been reading here from Antioch of Syria, they would sail over to the island of Cyprus and preach the gospel on that island and then sail again northward to Asia Minor. And, and so we read and we say, wow, the gospel is moving forward uh, despite much opposition. And we know that when they reached uh, Asia Minor, they went about 1,500 miles northward to Antioch of Pisidia. And uh, we read here, we, we know that they were, the Bible says, expelled from the city in Acts chapter 13. And now we come to Acts chapter 14. This is Paul's first missionary journey, and we see the gospel moving forward. But it's interesting to note that it was not without opposition. There was much opposition with the preaching of the gospel. And I, uh, before we, re we begin reading, we'll see here in Acts 14, verse 1 through 7, the question here is, uh, why is it that the majority of the people that I meet who attend some sort of church know nothing of the gospel of Christ? I think that's a concerning question. In Acts 14, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in Iconium. So we go from Antioch to Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them uh, despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lacanaia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. 
I like to bring your attention to verse 4. The Bible says again, But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. I would like to preach a message that I have entitled, The City Was Divided. It's interesting to note here, right off the bat, that there is not uh, three, four, five, six groups of different people who've gathered themselves and who've all formed their own opinions. The Bible says the city was divided and there was really two parts in the division. The first part was those who held with the Jews or who agreed with the Jews and the second part was those who held or who agreed with the apostles. And I really want us to think as we consider the gospel and I know the time that we live in that there is only a division in, and there is only two categories of people in the world. Now I know the world we live in. We live in the world where people say, well, you have your truth and I have my truth and everybody's got their own truth. There is no such thing. There is the reception of the truth or the rejection of the truth. And that's it. Someone may promote their own truth, but by doing so they are rejecting the truth. There is only two camps in the division. And so I like to preach a message that I've entitled here, The City Was Divided. Uh, let me say this before we begin in our study. I, I, I know that for probably the last few weeks we've heard of many things going on from uh, shootings in schools and public areas, from um, you know people who are really living a lifestyle. You think about the subject of gender fluidity and all those things that you hear about in the world. Let me just be very clear. There's only two categories of people. There are those who hold to the truth and those who reject the truth. And what we're hearing here, perhaps in probably the last few weeks, is this, and I've heard this repeated over and over again, uh, all the mental illness going on abounding in our world and in our country. Let me just say, it's not mental illness. It's sin. Uh, when, when someone takes it upon themselves to kill children, it's not mental illness, it's sin. And as, what do we attribute that? We attribute that to a rejection of God. All that we're seeing in the world, what is that? It's a rejection of God. And what we see is the fruit of a rejection of God. So you may call it mental illness, but ultimately it's a rejection of God. It's a rejection of God. And I think it fits well within the narrative because as we read in our text, we find that as the gospel is being preached here in Iconium, the city is divided into two parts. It's interesting that even when Jesus Christ comes on the scene in a time when there was a political turmoil, there was a confu religious confusion, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, if you remember, 
There was also two divisions. There was two categories of people. There were those who accepted and followed the Lord Jesus Christ and those who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is interesting that those who had political differences united together against Christ. And by the way, that's not the pattern just for the time of Christ, even the time when the gospel was preached in the book of Acts by the apostles. I believe it is still true today that we can divide the city, the county, the, 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 the country, the world into two categories, and we must not accept this notion that there is your truth and there is his truth and there is my truth. There is only one truth. And a rejection of that truth always brings about dire consequences to any society. So in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. As we begin here, we see here that they go from Antioch to Iconium, this stretch of the ministry of the Apostle Paul would long be remembered as a time of persecution and affliction. As a matter of fact, if you hold your place here and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, later when Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, who was the pastor of Ephesus, he writes to him and he remembers this segment of his ministry. Notice with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, And verse 10, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecution, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecution I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So it is interesting here that We're in Iconium now. Paul came from Antioch, and after Iconium, he would go to Lystra. And Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he says, You remember, Timothy, the persecution and the affliction I endured. And he mentions those three cities. And so, I think it's important for us to think that perhaps during the ministry of the Apostle Paul, when Paul encountered the strongest persecution and opposition would be in those three cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. By the way, we're going to find that in Lystra, that's when he's going to be brought out of the city. He's going to be stoned and left for dead. Now, I believe he personally died, and God raised him from the dead. But it's going to be here in this part of Paul's missionary journey. And in the midst of this here, he finds himself in Iconium, and he goes as... He would often go by pattern. He would go first to the synagogue and preached. The Bible says here that when they came here to Iconium into the synagogue of the Jews, and notice, so, so spake, so spake. Well, what, what were they speaking? Well, they preached the gospel. They preached Jesus Christ. I think that that expression here that they so spake, It continues with the message that they had spoken in Acts chapter 13. That gospel, that message was the message of the gospel. If you go back with me to notice in chapter 13, um, 
He says in verse 38, he concludes his message and he says this, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. That's been the message of Paul. Forgiveness of sin, justification by faith, justification from all things without the law of Moses. And so that would pierce the heart of the Jews as Paul is so speaking in the synagogue in Iconium. He's saying the same thing that he said in the synagogue in Antioch and he preached the gospel. And so the result of Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel was that the Bible says in verse 1 that a multitude of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. They believe what? They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is asked here, how did they speak? How did the Apostle Paul speak? Uh, Often we may be curious as to how Paul presented himself, uh, how he came across, how he spoke. We know that Paul was an educated man, but Paul on a number of occasions, he speaks of the manner of his ministry and one of those instances is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Would you turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2? And, and Paul, he lives back the time of his preaching of the gospel. Here, obviously, he's talking of his time at Corinth. But I believe here that this would be true in all of Paul's ministry whenever he preached the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, notice verse 1. And by the way, there is no doubt that Paul was an educated man. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, he, he was a man that no doubt being educated, and by the way, he gives his pedigree in Philippians chapter 3, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. He gives his pedigree. There's no doubt that Paul was a gifted man. He was an educated man. He was learned in the rabbinical system, the religious system, the Jewish system of the day. And yet when Paul preached the gospel, Paul did not convince the Jews nor the Greeks by his education. If you notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, notice what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And so Paul says, I didn't come to you with, um, uh, notice, excellency of speech with fancy words where you could be enamored by my education and by how I spoke, uh, nor of my wisdom. But I declare to you, notice what did Paul declare? The testimony of God. That's what he said. Notice verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
So as we go back to Acts chapter 14, when we read the narrative of Paul preaching the gospel in the synagogue of the Jews, and that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed, understand that uh, Paul did not convince him because he was winsome, because he was smart, because he had a lot of wisdom. He convinced them because he gave them the testimony of God. He, he told them about the forgiveness of sins. He, he told them how they could be justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And that Jesus Christ had died on the cross in their place. In verse 2 we read, When the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren, we notice immediately that even though there are the Bible describes a multitude of both the Jews and the Greeks that believed. What, what happened is this would prompt the Jews that they not believe to stir up the people as it had been done already in Antioch. Remember, the message in Acts chapter 13 was that justification was received not by the law of Moses. You see, the rabbinical teachings of the day, no doubt Gamaliel had taught Paul previously uh, that uh, the Jews were a better people because they had received the law, because they were teachers of the law. Uh, if you turn with me, uh, go with me to Romans, in Romans chapter 2, when Paul later, he writes to the church at Rome, he, he writes to, to, with, a, with a great concern for the Jewish mindset concerning the gospel of Christ. Notice in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, we understand a little bit about the Jewish system of the day when Paul writes, and by the way, he would be familiar with this system. And notice what he writes. He says in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law. You see, the Jews were trusting and resting in the law. And Paul was preaching what? You need to trust and rest in Jesus Christ. That's a different message. And makest thy boast of God. Romans 3.17. Notice Romans 3.18. And knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou, art, that thou art thyself are a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babe, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Uh, thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it be fulfilled fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of circumcision does transgress the law? What is he saying here? That the Jewish mindset of the time was, we're better than everybody else, and we are God's people because we are called Jew. Because of our ethnicity, we don't need Christ. 
Because we have the law of Moses, we don't need Christ. Because we are circumcised, we don't need Christ. And so Paul, when he preaches to the Jews, they're, they're, they're affected by why? Because the things that they're resting in and the things that they're trusting in is not what they should rest in and should trust in. He points them to Christ. And so the Jews are upset about the preaching of Paul. The Bible says in verse 2, the unbelieving of Acts 14, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. That's an interesting expression here. Made their minds evil affected. That's the only time you find that expression in the Scriptures. Uh, you find that, by the way, in pattern throughout Acts, the, the same type of thing. When in Acts chapter 7, verse 6, the Bible says, And it treated them evil 400 years. Uh, evil entreated our fathers. Uh, we read in Acts chapter 12 that Herod, the king, he stretched forth his hands to vex certain in the church. And so the unbelieving Jews here, they basically worked through the Gentiles, stirring them up, casting their minds uh, causing their minds to be noticed evil affected against the brethren. The expression here, evil affected, implies not only an ill disposition towards the brethren, but also injury also was done to the minds of those who were being stirred up. And so the Jews here, they're obviously, what we read in chapter 13, they were slandering and blaspheming what Paul was saying. And so they're stirring, they're uh, uh, affecting their minds against the brethren. And by the way, that is still true today. One of the greatest tools of the world is the false accusation and the character assassination of, of Paul and Barnabas here. Now the same as happens today to try to discount the message, to, tout, to try to discredit the messenger. But we read of the persistency and the boldness of of Paul in verse 3, Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. So while this opposition is mounting, they are staying there for a long time. They're speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. We see their persistence, their boldness, but also their testifying. The Bible says they gave testimony unto the word of His grace. Whose grace? The Lord's grace. What is this? Well, perhaps as Paul has been doing and Peter have been doing all throughout the book of Acts, who is Jesus Christ? What did Jesus Christ do? He offered Himself for your sins. What does His work accomplish? It accomplishes the forgiveness of sins. Uh, you see, in those days... There were men who would travel from city to city. They were called entertainers who made their living by traveling from Greek city uh, to city and telling stories. They would often gather crowds around them. They would tell tales of what they had seen, places that they had been, adventures that they had had. And so here, no doubt some people are saying, well, Paul is just uh, saying some great tales. He is just... Uh, speaking stories, this is not the truth, he should not be listened to. But Paul here did not give any tale. He told the people about Jesus Christ who came to offer forgiveness of sins. 
the Lord even Himself, He gave witness in those moments to the ministry of Paul and Barnabas by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God bear witness at that time of the truth that was preached by Paul by those signs. Notice in verse 3 again, he says, Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, the Lord's grace, and granted, who granted? The Lord granted. Signs and wonders be done by their hands. And so the Lord says, with all this opposition, I'm going to give signs and wonders to confirm, to be a witness to the fact that their message is truth. The Jews and the Greeks, we know a great number of them believed the gospel as we read in verse 1. But notice what happens in verse 4. We read the statement in the midst of the gospel going forth and launching out, the gospel being preached and many people believing, the Bible says in verse 4, But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. So after the gospel had been faithfully proclaimed for a long time, what happened is everybody in the city fell into one of two categories. On the one hand, you had those who held, the Bible says, held with the Jews, and part held with the apostles. So the city was divided into two camps. The part with the Jews, the part with the apostles. The word held here means that some agreed with the Jews, while others agreed with the apostles. And so the preaching of the gospel, by the way, does not leave anybody neutral. The preaching of the gospel does not leave anybody neutral. There will either be an agreement with the gospel, or there will be a disagreement with the gospel. Some may argue that Jesus Christ is, well, look, He's just another God. I have my way. He's just another God among many gods. We live in a world today where everyone can claim his or her own truth. But the truth is, there is only one truth. And the New Testament makes that clear. Jesus Christ Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. The apostles confirmed that. You remember when they had done miracles in the name of Jesus Christ, they stand before the Sanhedrin Council. The Sanhedrin Council says you cannot teach or preach in his name anymore, the name of Jesus Christ. You remember what Peter said. He said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way. And so we read that in by the words of Jesus Christ, the first century apostles preached there is no other way. Even when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, there is only one way. And it doesn't matter what the world may say. The world may say, well, you have your God that's good for you. I have my God. These people over here have their God. There are only two categories. There is the true God, and there is all the other false gods. And so people say, well, why, why, what makes your God so special? What makes your Christ uh, so special? Uh, he's not really any different than everybody else. Oh, yes, He is. He is, absolutely, He is. There, there is no one else 
that was born of a virgin. There is no one else that performed the miracles that Jesus did. There is no one else that fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies as Jesus fulfilled them. There is no other one that lived a sinless life. There is no other one who offered himself for your sins and my sins. There is no other one who rose from the dead. There is no other one who ascended up to heaven. There is no other one who stands as the mediator between God and man. There is no other one who took our sins in his own body and died on a cruel cross. There is no other one who offers imputed righteousness full and free. There is no one else. What about all the other religions? All the other religions fit in one category. Even the atheists and the agnostics of the world, they fit into one category. What is that category? Be good and hope one day that things will turn out. That was the Jewish system. And the gospel is, Jesus Christ was perfect and He died for you. Accept Him as your Savior. Those in the city who were divided, held to the part of the Jews, a religious system, while those who held to the apostles held to Christ. You see, there is no one like Jesus Christ. He is not comparable to anyone or to any religious system. He is exclusive and He alone is the answer for sin. And so we see the the world divided into two parts. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. If you were to ask me, if somebody invite me, they're never going to invite me. But if someone were to invite me in the news program today and say, all right, Pastor Knickerbocker, what is the answer for our country? You know what I would tell them? How do you solve all the issues of our country? I have one word. Well, one sentence. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It can't be that simple. It is that simple. It is that simple. You... Want a society that removes the teaching of Christ, that removes the Ten Commandments, that removes all of those things, throw everything out the window, and then you expect a utopian society to flourish from that? It cannot. It cannot and never will. It's interesting that those were not content to coexist with the preaching of the gospel. They wanted to wipe it out. Verse 5 says, And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lacaniah, and unto the region that lieth round about. The word assault here means having a violent impulse. A violent impulse. Impulse. Boy, don't we see that in our world? Violent impulses abound. This violent impulse was against the gospel. Against the gospel. We see here that eventually in this very chapter... Uh, If you go down with me to verse 19. 
And there came hither, th thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Now remember, right now we're reading that Paul is in Iconium, where he came from Antioch. The Jews in Antioch expelled them out of the city. The Jews in Iconium stirred up the people and basically were planning on stoning them. And so they moved to Lystra. And so now the Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. They're actually going to carry out this evil impulse. The Jews in Antioch, the Jews in Iconium, when Paul finally goes to Lystra, they go there and they follow him. That's how uh, vehemently opposed they were to the gospel. And they assaulted and they tried to kill and rid themselves of the apostle Paul because of the preaching of the gospel. Think about it. Because Paul said, you can receive the forgiveness of sins. Let's stone him. No, 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 no. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have everlasting life in Christ. Let's stone him. Is that logical? The world is not logical. And so here we read after the assault was made, both of the Gentiles and of the Jews with the rulers, notice verse 6, And they were aware of it, and fled into Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lacaniah, and unto the region that lieth round about. And I, 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 do you notice here, we, we read the next verse, and so I feel like, it's like, man, he's not catching, Paul and Barnabas are not catching a break, aren't they? Go to Antioch. Expelled out of the city here. People are trying to assault them and stone them uh, to death. They're eventually going to get their way in Lystra. They're going to leave Paul for dead. Man, everything is against Paul. Everything seems to be against him. And so he goes to Lystra. And when he gets to Lystra, notice he has a pity party. No. That's not what happens. What does he do in Lystra and Derby? What does he do? He preaches the gospel. Again? Again. The gospel, what is he preaching again? Go back to chapter 13, verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by Him, all that believe are justified from all things, from which He could not be justified by the law of Moses. He preached the same message over and over and over again. Not with enticing words, not with words of man's wisdom, but declaring the testimony of God. You know what the world needs today? The, the world needs the testimony of God. The testimony of God is right here. The testimony of God is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. The testimony of God brings people into one of two categories. The rejectors and the receivers. Now let me ask you this. Which category are you? I'm not asking you if you're in church. You're obviously here. Which category are you in? 
Have you received the gospel, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, received the forgiveness of sins, received justification by faith without the deeds of the law? Or are you still trusting in yourself, holding on to religion, holding on to your good deeds? Are you still trusting in yourself or to some form of religion? You know, you can be in church and lost. You, you can even say, well, I'm not violent against the gospel. I just listen to it, but I, I'm just, I, I'm neutral. I haven't made a decision. You are not neutral. You have rejected the gospel. If that's you, could I encourage you to believe on the gospel? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will save you from your sins. He will clean your life. He will justify you by faith. And it will not be by the deeds of the law. It will be by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross of Calvary. So if you're not saved, I, my burden for you is that you might be saved. And look, I don't know your heart, but you know your heart. But let me ask you this, church... As we look at, I remind us of the question here. We're reading through the book of Acts. We're like, wow, look, this is all wonderful. Wow, wonderful, wonderful. What are we doing? What are we doing? That's exciting to read, isn't it? Wow, look at the gospel moving forward. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, Syria, Cyprus, Asia Minor. They were on fire for God. But what about us? What about us? Well, Pastor, we live in a world where everybody's got their own truth. I know exactly. What's the answer? What's the answer? The answer for our society, do you, do you, are you observing all that's going on around you in the world? Oh, let's, how to, how to fix schools, uh, school shootings. You hear what they say? We got to lock the doors. We got to put security guards. We got to get rid of the guns. We got to. Do you notice that the answer is never God? Let's put God back in the schools. Let's teach the students the truth from God's Word. It's not the answer. Why? Because they're in the category where they oppose God. They do not want God to be the answer. And He is the only answer. So, if we are not ourselves advancing with the gospel, which is the answer, could we not say that we are part of the problem then? Let's pray.